Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the PCF Bible Talk podcast. I'm Anna, and I'm here with two of my coworkers. Hello, I'm Skye. And hey, I'm Kristen. And we're so glad that you're joining us today. In this series called The Drama of Redemption, we are reflecting on the truth that, as Hebrews 1 puts it, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, in the New Testament, we will learn that Jesus fulfills many roles in the history of redemption, but in the Old Testament, we're seeing that these roles have been broken out and shared by multiple people, and we've been specifically looking at the roles of the prophets, the priests, and the kings in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, Israel community. And last week, when we were studying Isaiah, we were talking about the prophets, and we saw that the prophets faithfully proclaimed God's word to the people of Israel, but that through their preaching, they were unable to fully fix the problems and the rebellion of the people of Israel. They actually couldn't communicate a fully transformative revelation from God. So instead, the prophets, like Isaiah, pointed ahead to the coming of the Word, capital W, the Word of God Himself, which is Jesus Christ. And when that Word was accepted into people's hearts, they would be truly transformed. So the prophets were a part of that ministry, but not the complete ministry of the Word. And we also looked at kingship in the previous weeks. And we saw that even one of Israel's best kings, King David, who was called a man after God's own heart, he still failed to live up to be all that a king of Israel should be. Um, and he sinned greatly and was not all, yeah, it was not the perfect king. So after his reign, the people of Israel were still left looking and waiting for a coming king who would be able to be everything that a king should be. So we've looked at prophet, we've looked at priest, and this week, or sorry, we looked at prophet and we looked at kings. And this week, we're going to look at the role of the priesthood in the Old Testament. Now, the priests oversaw the worship of Israel, and if you remember way back to our lesson on Leviticus, we saw that the sacrifices of worship could be both for sins, making atonement for a sin, like you sacrifice a goat because you sinned, but you can also give an offering that signifies peace or fellowship or thanksgiving or worship of God. So the priests oversaw all those different kinds of acts of worship, and they also taught and preserved the Mosaic Law the first five books of the Old Testament. And so they had lots of important roles and functions in Israelite society and in their worship of God. But we're going to see that this priestly system, which was centered around the temple and governed by the law of Moses, never fully succeeded in establishing the people of Israel in a lasting fellowship of worship with God. Just like the prophets and the kings, there were partial successes and glimpses of glory, but ultimately the people of Israel could not sustain an unbroken commitment to the priestly system of worship. So this is the trajectory that we are going to trace in today's Bible study. First, we are going to look at a high point in the life of the temple and the priesthood, which is, you might call it the ribbon cutting ceremony of the temple and the opening of Solomon's temple. So just to help you out with the chronology here, last week we were in Isaiah, but now we're going to backtrack a couple centuries back to the beginning of the monarchy to Solomon, who was the immediate son of David, and Solomon is the one who's going to build the temple. So we're going to start there 300 years before Isaiah, and then we're going to keep going forward and get back up almost to the time of Isaiah as well. All right, so we're going to be starting in the reign of Solomon. 
Solomon is the first one to build the temple. And you might say, well, what did they have before they had a temple? So if you remember back to our Bible study on the tabernacle, we watched a video about the setup of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was where the Ark of the Covenant was and where the sacrifices were made. And the thing about the tabernacle was that it was made out of cloth, fundamentally. It was a movable structure, right? Because they had been given it in the wilderness. And so they could use it for a time. Actually, they used it for many centuries. But now that they're fully settled in the promised land and they um, have taken occupation of Jerusalem, David felt like God was calling him to build a permanent structure where all the worship of Israel could happen. But God told David that he was actually not going to be the one to build it, and his son Solomon would build it. So David collected a lot of materials during his lifetime, but the building wasn't begun till Solomon's reign, and ultimately it was finished around 957 BC. Now Solomon's temple, as it was known, was a glorious and amazing structure. Solomon's reign was the height of wealth of the United Monarchy of Israel. So he had tons of gold and precious things to put in this temple, and it looked beautiful. And in the show notes, I'm going to link you to another CGI replica of this temple so you can start to get a visual about what it looked like. Um, So I encourage you to do that just to get that sense. So this beautiful temple, which I think took about seven, eight years to build after all the building materials had been acquired over a long space of time. Now we're going to start reading that opening ceremony and the services that surrounded the opening ceremony and the excitement that surrounded the opening ceremony. And that's where we're going to pick up the story and start reading in the book of Second Chronicles, which tells us about these things. So here we go. So Kristen is going to read us from Second Chronicles 5 verses 11 through 14. And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Okay, so part of our point in looking at this is, I sort of said earlier, this is a high point in Israel's worship of God. So this is kind of like what worship should look like. So we're looking at the temple, but we're also looking at the priests, like kind of what state the priests were in at this time, and what kind of role did they have? So Sky and Kristen, what strikes you guys in this description of this worship service at the opening of the temple? What details stand out to you? Yeah, I think some of the first details, um, it's just as you heard this read, kind of the different instruments that jump out. Um, there's cymbals, there's harps, there's lyres, there's trumpets. Um, yeah, just an assortment of instruments. Um, and I'm just like imagining, it's not just like, you know, one piano playing um, <laughs> in our day and age, kind of had a, had a, a little electronic keyboard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But just kind of all of these instruments coming together. Um, and also it says it was the duty of the trumpeteers and the singers. Um, and just kind of thinking of like, okay, yeah, it's not someone who's just showing up like 
for Sunday morning service like we think of today. Um, but just that duty carries this kind of this heavier word and this heavier meaning. Um, and I think that duty kind of goes with all of these instruments and all of the different people who were playing it. They had like this solid place and purpose in this worship. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, I always love to see trumpet love because I play the trumpet. <laughs> and I just, it's just such a, I feel like it's a very kingly instrument. Like you always see it played before someone of power coming out. And so it's clearly like very regal and important. Um, and I guess with that in mind, it's just all of this singing and the the playing of instruments and all of this, it clearly took a lot of preparation. It was very intentional. It's uh, kind of like Sky said, it wasn't just someone playing the piano. It wasn't in the same way. It wasn't just it didn't just happen on a whim, you know, this clearly was an act and an entire production and um, all the priests came and um, those who weren't priests, there's a lot of people there and it's centered around the temple and it was very a clearly important um, time and just something that was completely directed towards God and just for him and his glory. Yeah. And that focus like on God, Um, like you said, Kristen, directed towards God. Um, That's just, that's where you see all of this praise. Um, It's really just, it's, yeah, it's centered. It's looking directly at God. Um, And that's part of the phrase they said, like, um, in praise to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Um, And just, yeah, just kind of hearing God's word and they would be singing it. Um, they would be playing these words to God. And I think it's something also that we don't really fully understand, like that this was their vocation. Um, Mm -hmm. Like this was their job. (laughs) They didn't have another job. Um, And that just kind of shows the extent at which there's hundreds of musicians employed, kind of um, their vocation is to be at the temple, making this praise, um, focused on God and worshiping him all the time. Yeah, because sometimes I think we might stereotypically think of a priest just as someone who like sacrifices animals for sin. And that was part, part of their function. But it's interesting, it was 120 priests with trumpets. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the priests who are leading them in worship. That's their primary responsibility. Making sacrifices for sin is part of that. But there are other parts of it, like here, including music. And then we see that the the glory of the Lord fills the temple and they couldn't stand to minister because of the clouds. So this amazing scene of worship where God's glory is really made present comes through this time of musical worship and not so much centered around sacrifice in this particular moment. So I, I think that's just a cool thing. And just as a side note, the others will kind of laugh at me, but this verse, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. The word steadfast love in Hebrew is called hesed, and sometimes people translate that as mercy, like in the King James Version. So this is a a verse that we still sing today. So I'll just put in the show notes a praise song, that a modern praise song that sings this same verse, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And I just, the YouTube video is just a great capture of a worship scene. And of course, it's not what the worship looked like in 957 BC, but it's still a reminder that this is part of of how we worship God, um, singing joyfully to him. All right. So that was the worship music. And then we're going to go more into the ceremony and the consecration of the temple. So the temple had been consecrated. We're actually going to 
just skim over that because it's an extensive passage. But now the temple has been dedicated and it's just about to begin being put into use by Solomon the king and by the people. So Sky is going to read us that from Second Chronicles chapter 8. So Sky, could you read that for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Second Chronicles 8 verses 12 through 16. Then Solomon offered up burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord that he had built before the vestibule. As the duty of each day required, offering according to the commandment of Moses for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the three annual feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths, according to the ruling of David his father, he appointed the division of the priest for their service, and the Levites for their offices of praise and ministry before the priest, as the duty of each day required, and the gatekeepers in their division at each gate. For so David, the man of God, had commanded. And they did not turn aside from what the king had commanded the priest and the Levites concerning any matter and concerning the treasuries. Thus was accomplished all the work of Solomon from the day the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. Great. Thank you, Sky. So, what do we see here in this text? What religious functions do we see mentioned? Again, we're, if we're trying to think, like, how should the priestly system operate? How should the temple operate? What what stood out to you guys here? Well, I mean, right off the bat, we see that um, they were offering up the burnt offerings. And as we talked weeks ago, that was such an important part of the priestly duty. And so just to see that they are making those offerings up to the Lord on the altar, you can see that that's already working well within the temple. Yeah, and those offerings that are offered up and the sacrifices, um, they're doing this with like a structure. It's not just kind of randomly, um, but it says, as the duty of each day required. So each day, and it mentions the Sabbath, it mentions the new moons, it mentions the annual feasts. There were three of them that are mentioned here. Um, And you just kind of see the structure where it's like, okay, God is saying to them, I want you to do this with frequency at a specific Mm -hmm. time, Um, like there is benefit to doing things repeatedly. There is benefit to being like, oh, yes, this is the time that we think about God. Um, This is the time of the year that we give extra worship. Um, Maybe extra is not quite the right word, but where we give special worship, um, where we thank God and praise Him in different ways. So yeah, I think that structure is just something that uh, really shows up here. Well, and even like you're saying, Sky, it says that Solomon appointed the divisions of the priests for their service and everyone was at their appropriate gate and all those things. And we might not think, oh, well, this is not like the most riveting section of scripture (laughs) to read about the divisions of the priesthood. And to some extent, that's true. This is not like the most famous story or something. But that's important, right? That everything was set up well, that every everyone was working hard, that there was a lot going on, right? Everybody knows that an organization takes a lot of work to run well. And the temple was also an organization that people could honor God through doing their duty and through setting everything up in an ordered way and doing everything that needed to be done. And that was part of the way that people were honoring God. So even though, yeah, it's a little, we're like, why are they mentioning this? It's showing them that they're putting a lot of effort into work, into honoring God rightly through this temple system. And honor God rightly, they do. um, Because Mm. they did not turn aside from what the king had commanded. Uh, Thus was accomplished all the work. Uh, And just kind of seeing like the completed project, Um, the temple is completed because they didn't turn aside because they kept to this structure. 
Okay, so that's sort of our high point, our snapshot of 967 BC, the opening of the temple. Everyone's happy. There's a verse that said, everyone went home joyful in the Lord um, from this ceremony that involved everyone. It's a very happy, good time. Now, unfortunately, because we have to do things fast, we have to fast forward to bad times. Um, and, you know, everything is a yo-yo. It gets to this point gradually. There are good times, bad times. But the trend for the next couple hundred years is downward, unfortunately. So now we're going to skip forward 300 years um, to the reign of Manasseh around like 640 B.C. So Manasseh is a king of Judah. Now the kingdom is divided. So he's a king of the southern kingdom. So he's like a great, 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 great grandson of Solomon. And Manasseh is not a good king. Um, And we're going to see that in this description that we're going to read of his reign. And so as we read this, we just want to listen for the changes that have happened. They're going to be pretty obvious, unfortunately. But what has happened to the priesthood? What has happened to the temple? What has happened to the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel? So Kristen, can you read that for us? Yeah, this is 2 Chronicles 33, 1 through 9. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down, and he erected altars to the balls and made Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery, and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of the idol he had made, he set in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will no more remove the foot of Israel from the the land that I appointed for your fathers. If only they will be careful to do all that I have commanded them, all the law, the statutes, and the rules given through Moses. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Oof. Okay, this is bad. Um, There's a lot of bad in here. So when we're thinking about the worship of Israel and the temple and the priests and right worship, what are some of the ways that we see it's gone wrong here? Yeah, where to start? Um, (laughs) I guess the first thing that I see, um, and it just struck me as Kristen was reading, where it says, like, for he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. Um, And Hezekiah was a fairly good king. Um, so he had taken down these high places, which were places that um, that the people would go to worship other gods, um, idols. And um, that just really shows kind of what Anna was saying earlier, too, about how there was good and bad, uh, good and bad. Um, and really here, yeah, we see a lot of bad. And we see that these like idols, these high places are rebuilt um, after all the work to turn back towards God in different phases. Um, here they're being rebuilt. And he 
worshipped. Like, it's not just like, oh, he built this thing that was displeasing to God. Um, but he's worshipping other gods. He's building altars for them. Um, and he's worshipping them. We were just talking about the glory of how great it was to worship God, the true God, in the temple. Um, and he's just so far away from this, really just chasing after these other gods in other places um, and kind of focusing his energy on these other gods. And there's also this detail where it's like, it was so bad that he was sacrificing children to the other gods mm -hmm. by burning them. And it was like, yeah, <laughs> like, I, I don't really have words for that. It's just like, oh my, how, you just see how far he's fallen, how far the people have fallen, how far astray they've gone. Yeah, Jeremiah is the prophet who's sort of the prophet at the time of Manasseh. Jeremiah follows Isaiah and Jeremiah says, what is this terrible thing that you have done burning your sons to me in the Valley of Hinnom? When did I ever ask you to do such a thing? Such a thing has never entered my mind. Like Jeremiah uh, definitely talks about the atrocity of child sacrifice that was happening in Israel. Because I feel like sometimes, not that all of it was child sacrifice. Obviously, I think that was some extreme cases. But still, sometimes we tend to think idolatry is like, Meh, you know, like some people are this religion, some people are that religion, but like it's these acts of worship to other gods involved, uh, it says, um, sorcery, witchcraft, necromancy. Like these are things talking to the dead, dealing with spirits, omens, fortune tellings. These are not like neutral activities that don't influence you or don't, I don't like these are really dark things, um, that they were involved in. And yeah, so it's not just they're sort of not worshiping Yahweh and just doing some some neutral middle ground or something. These are really dark things. Yeah, and so not only did he not seek the Lord at the temple, which is so striking to see after reading that earlier uh, passage that we had just read, where the glory was just overwhelming in the temple. And then now just seeing this, he doesn't seek the Lord at the temple he actually puts an idol of another god inside the temple. And it's clear that, you know, that glory is not being overwhelming right now. Like he is using the temple for not to honor the Lord, not to give praise and to worship and said to just bring idolatry into it and to completely uh, trample on the, the whole purpose and, and that relationship he could be having with God at the temple. Yeah, and the upshot of this is not this is not just King Manasseh, but it says at the end, he led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than all the nations that the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. So the whole country here is going astray. So we're going to take a pause here. This is going to be part one of our reflection on this issue, but it's it's inspiring to read about the worship at the opening of the temple, but it's also humbling and a warning to show that um, we can have inspirational worship and that's good and that's important, but we need to keep directing our thoughts there. We need to keep keep entering into that place of worship again, because if we don't, again, this was over the course of many centuries, but still the country degraded so much that they could worship false gods, that they could bring an idol into the temple, that they could sacrifice their sons, that they could do all these things that are against what God wanted them to do. So we're going to keep talking about these themes when we're going to talk about Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, next time and in our Bible studies. 
So we hope that you're able to come to one of our Bible studies, but if not, feel free to listen to part two, where we'll talk about what we're going to go over in Bible study as we read the account of the story of Josiah. Grace and peace from the Bible Talk team. See you next time. Bye-bye.